Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. Uh, my name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, a director, and I do podcasts like this one, but especially this one. Particularly. Uh, mainly this one. And uh, this week, this fortnight even, we're going to be talking about a very pleasant and sedate Lucio Fulci film called City of the Living Dead. Dan? It's comparatively laid back, I think, for his stuff. <laughs> I mean, not like it's not Manhattan Baby laid back, but it is. <laughs> I mean, I am laid back during Manhattan Baby. I, I mean, fall asleep during that movie. I mean, I, I was thinking about this a lot while watching it. Um, obviously, you know, I've seen this film so many times, yeah. but for some reason, on this watch, perhaps because it has such a fancy pants Blu-ray release, yes, which yes. we will definitely get into. But I was thinking, what would it be like for a normal person to watch this film, aka someone not in our cult film bubble? Because yeah. It is fucking insane in it the is. best possible it way. It is, it really is. Well, it kind of follows that. It's almost like a dream logic movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, completely. Which I love. Yeah, um, I think all, all films should be like this. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the interview with the writer on the disc mm. is spectacular. And he is obviously at the point in his life where he doesn't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> One of those. Uh, and so he, he, he's quite rude about some other Italian filmmakers. Uh, Argento by any chance? There's a bit of Argento shade. <laughs> <laughs> they all hate Argento. It's, it's so, so weird. so fucking funny. Um, but like Argento and Fulci obviously were very close. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. They, Argento... they, they crossed paths. And obviously a lot of people work for both of them as well. So... And Argento, yeah, did he, he, he basically ran Fulci's funeral. Like, he was the, the... Well, he was going to be producing Fulci's comeback movie before Fulci died. He was. Because House of... Uh, the Michele Suave Wax Mask remake was going yep. to be Fulci's comeback. Yeah, and... Before- I, 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 I've got to get this in. He, um, Argento, <laughs> Argento <laughs> went to the director of Zombie Three, who, whose name Bruno Mattei. Uh, no, the other one. So, okay. So you know, Fortune was too ill to finish yeah. it. So two guys stepped in. One of them was Mattei, and the other one was I think Mattei. Came to it in post, almost like they sent it to him to shoot extra shit to gore it up. Yeah. So the other guy, basically. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Argento um, came to this other guy after <laughs> uh, after the funeral and said, you know, it was it was one of Fulci's last wishes that you would direct um, Wax Mask. And this guy was like, yes, I'm sorry, I don't believe a single word of that. Um, I, know, <laughs> I know Fulci very well, and he didn't have it in him to say something like that. So. <laughs> I love that. I love that story. Well, that's it. So, like, all of the extras, every time they anyone talks about Fulci on the disc, they always go... I mean, he was famously a son of a bitch. Like, he was horrible to everyone. But he was always nice to me. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They, everyone says, I hear he was horrible, but he was nice to me. Yes, but basically what he would do from things I've read and interviews I've seen and so on is basically he would slag off the other people to whoever yeah. he was talking to at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once he was talking to someone else, he'd then slag off the other people. Um, and someone once said that, you know, he he criticised so many people that eventually he had to start criticising himself. He's run out of people to, <laughs> <laughs> to slag off. off. <laughs> but, you know, what a character. And, and actually his sort of grouchiness does tie very well to this film because... Um, there's a legend that basically uh, Fulci used to carry like his pipe around uh, in a bag. Do you know this story? So No, tell me this. Okay, so 
yeah, he he had a bag for his pipe and tobacco, and uh, one day he on the set of this he uh, reached into his bag and pulled out a handful of maggots uh, because some set japester um, <laughs> had, had filled it. Uh, it's apparently Christopher George is the person that, that most people think did the prank um, <laughs> because he did not get along well with Fulci, um, as you could probably imagine. So, yeah, he was quite tough to work with, I think, Fulci. And you can kind of see it. I mean, yeah, the I mean, things the actors go through in this film alone. Yeah, that's it. Do you want to be in Phenomena, where it's Rice Krispies? Or do you want to be on City of the Living Dead, where we're going to glue maggots to your face? <laughs> exactly. Like... And and obviously, you know, I think you should talk about this more than, than me because, you know, this is your realm. Um, and I'm sure you've got opinions on this. <laughs> but uh, the intestines... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's... The so thing is, there are so many... Tell, tell people... Yeah. So there's a pretty amazing scene which has one incredible special effect and one kind of all right special effect in it where the... Should we do the plot first? Should we cover the rough plot, like the outline of the plot? I mean, that would take two seconds, so yeah. yeah. A psychic... Uh, during a seance, a woman sees a vision of a priest hanging himself, and by uh, the gravestones in the vision, she is able to work out with the help of a... Is he a journalist? Uh, yeah. It's always a journalist. It, 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 yeah. He is, yeah. Uh, with the help of a journalist, he... Uh, the real heroes, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Uh, with the help of a journalist, they were able to work out where the vision took place. They travel there. It really happened. And by hanging himself, the priest has opened one of the gateways to hell, one of the seven doors of hell. Yeah. Um, and all wacky shit's going on in the town as a result. But we keep on breaking away from the main narrative to spend quite a lot of time with people in a build-up to something mad happening. And um, including Bob the Sex Maniac, there's always a sex maniac, including Bob the Sex Maniac, uh, played by um, Giovanna Lombardo Radice or John Morgan, he was credited in, in English type English language releases, who's doing a sort of 10% his character from House on the Edge of the Park, 20% Quasimodo. <laughs> <laughs> sort of hybrids, yes, <laughs> sweaty lunatic, yes, yeah, apparently. Uh, the the part was written as a hunchback and Filchy wants him to wear a prosthetic hump. Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. And he said, no, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna exude the uh the aura of a hunchback with my physicality. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, he's always he dies in everything and uh and it's always a good death. I I, I was talking about um Cut and Run last time, wasn't I? Yes. And his uh his death in Cut and Run is one of the most spectacular. But yeah, his death in this is great. Yeah, and when you see the puppet head for it in the uh, the Rambal, it's um, it's not Rambaldi, it's um, Giannetta De Rossi in the De Rossi extra. Mm. You're like, how did that, how did that work? <laughs> that doesn't look good enough. I mean, no, obviously, it's it's old, it's falling apart, and it's dusty. But, yeah, exactly. But yeah. I mean, that is one of um, the the great set pieces of this movie. It makes no fucking sense, really. Yeah, um, it's well, quite an extreme reaction. Hearing to De, the situation. well, hearing De Rossi's uh, like explanation in his interview, which is a fantastic interview, mostly mm. because he veers off subject and talks about a lot of other films as well, which is really interesting, mm. uh, including showing the knife out of the mouth rig from uh, House with a Cemetery, mm. which is so cool. Mm. But yeah, he um, apparently, like Fulci had just found out about like drills. 
<laughs> and he's like, I want someone to be killed with a drill. And and that was Giannetta de Rossi's workshop lathe. He was like, well, right. I've got a lathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what's a lathe? <laughs> yeah. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. A sideways drill. Yeah, so they just go, the most disproportionate reaction. But we veered off topic. That right. is one of the key set pieces, but, but it's, it's a not different... Right one. Different, yes. different key set piece. So, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming... 99% of the people listening to this will have seen it. It's a, it's hot up there on the, the yeah, must-watch classics. Definitely. And, and if you haven't, again, stop listening because we definitely are going to go into spoilers because I 100% want to talk about the very, very ending, which is something that has troubled me. The most logical ending For, for you know, many, many years. <laughs> but yeah, um, spoilers from this point on. Yeah, okay. So um, when the priest turns up, as he does, the, the sort of the spectre of this dead priest. He People tend to die just by seeing him. Or they're killed by someone who has previously been killed by seeing him. It's it's a zombie movie, but it's not really a zombie movie. Like, no, it doesn't, exactly, It's yeah. more a ghost movie. Yeah. Um, but the ghosts have meaty porridge on their face. Yes. The instance that Sam was talking about with the guts, uh, he appears outside the car of a young couple who are canoodling. Isn't that's, is that the priest Ma- does not the me, priest does yeah the, the priest does is that Michele Suave playing the yes, young guy is. in the yeah, car yeah yeah, 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 yeah so that's Suave in the car yeah um, anyway he um, he turns up and the uh, the young woman is so shocked at his appearance that she starts crying blood which is spectacular oh it's so good um, and it wasn't until this 4K scan that I was like I'd basically I'd worked out how they'd done it. But you couldn't see how they'd done it. It was just exactly, a logical yeah. workout. Yeah, yeah. And on this one, there is like a frame where it gives itself away. But it's so good. Yeah. And same at the and, end. But again, it is only it only works because that he's willing to put his actors through absolute fucking hell. It must yeah. have been so uncomfortable for her. Yeah. That gag. Um, uh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the next one is. I think the next, the, the crying next blood is, is. The next bit is gross. Least I think that the crying blood would be physically painful. Right. Fake blood normally is sugar based. Sugar is crystalline. Liquid blood in the eyes is uncomfortable. Even yeah, the stuff yeah, that course. you can get now, which I don't yeah, think yeah. you can get then, which is designed to go in the eyes, is fucking horrible. Yeah. So, um, and there's a lot of it sleucing into her eyes. I'd, um, I'd still rather than that than have a, a mouthful of sheep's guts. A mouth, mouthful of sheep's guts. I'm always reminded uh, of the um, the woman who has her tongue pulled out in Blood Feast, mm-hmm. um, who was cast mm. by Herschel because she had a mouth big enough to fit a cow's tongue in yes. it. <laughs> so yeah, so the it's different a, days, it's, it's folks. A, it's a two stage effect. So she then she cries blood and then she vomits up her guts, and the vomiting up of her own guts is done in two ways, and they're cut together. So they have a little bit of guts in her mouth that she sort of spits out. And then they punch in close to a puppet mouth, which is not amazing. It's, I mean, it's not amazing, like especially in the 4K and all the rest of well, it. Yeah, but the, but the, when, I, the, when I first, you know, when I first saw the uncut version, yeah. I was like, "Holy fuck!" Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. It's a good what the fuck moment. And to be honest, I think yeah, the 4K really shows up some of the, like the teeth aren't very good. The teeth, are the bad. teeth are yeah, the giveaway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's because they're painted foam. Yeah, yeah. And they don't look like teeth. But it's an amazingly inventive moment, and it's mm. really cool. <laughs> Well, this is it. Like, and this kind of goes back to the the nightmare logic stuff. Uh, Fulci just has so many good ideas. Yeah, and it doesn't matter really if they entirely make sense. Like, even like I love the brain squishing. Like, yeah, it's so good. Well, the, I think the brain squishing 
must have been like aesthetically influential on the back of head biting that became the standard in the Return of the Living Dead franchise. Yeah, yeah. Like that kind of the crushing of the back of the skull and the brains bulging out. You do get a sense from Return of the Living Dead that they watched every zombie movie ever made before making it and not just Night of the Living Dead, which it directly references. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, um, the whole, you know, zombies going for brains thing was supposedly invented by Return of the Living Dead, but obviously there's so yeah, much... Yeah, there's, there's lots of there's examples so of it. There's nothing... This. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I... Just to change the subject from Return of the Living Dead, I kind of feel like Fulci is kind of on the... If you had a Mount Rushmore of uh, cult film directors across oh, all the genres, Fulci's head would be on there. But he kind of feels like one of our directors and by that i mean you know people in the cult film bubble like the average person on the street would not know who the hell he was wouldn't be able to name any of his films or you know more than one yeah Um, absolutely but in terms of his like command of like the visuals of cinema and you know how he uses music and how far he pushed actors like he was definitely one of the best yeah well i think Given how people talk about him and given what he was clearly putting his actors through, I think tyrannical is probably a fair description of his interaction with people on set. But I wonder how much of those like crazy ideas were him. Like hearing De Rossi talk about like him just saying, I want a thing here, and De Rossi coming up with an effect. And, uh, and obviously it was it was written wasn't written by him either so uh, i no i mean I, I i'm i'm not having that i know you like to lower the director as, as much as possible however i don't know that's fair <laughs> well you know I, I i i think it's not fair to say that you know a lot of these ideas weren't his because he has such a consistent style and he worked with so many different people i, I can certainly uh, you yeah. know, maybe his gift was the ability to communicate his ideas very clearly, and, and and I've read things that suggest that's the case. But but also, like people would think his ideas were weird, and he'd have to talk them round. Yeah, um, that's true. And and to be honest, the other thing is, and this is something from the extras on the disc. Um, I think it's the writer says Fulci was like Barva in that he could read a script and he knew what he was going to shoot. Right. And this is a little bit of the Argento shade we mentioned earlier. He says, whereas Argento had to get on set, get everyone in place, and start looking through lenses before he knew how he was going to shoot it. Like he had, he was much less prepared. Whereas, whereas uh, Fulci was much more like he 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 had a vision. Yeah. So I think maybe I was being a little unfair. Yeah. Like obviously he is a conduit for the ideas of his crew, and he ends up being the sort of the. Yeah, he he collects all of their input, but he obviously had a strong idea of what he wanted from the Yeah, exactly. Um, And it's just so consistent. Yeah, I mean, should we talk a little bit about the... Well, before we get to the ending, let's talk about the music a little bit. Do you want to talk Um, about the meat baby and the sex doll? (laughs) I mean, it's the best use of a sex doll since Hellraiser 2 (laughs) that we've talked about anyway. Yeah, no, it's fucking weird, isn't it? Yeah, uh, that's, that's... Probably, other than the very ending, which we'll get to, that's one of the most "what the fuck is going on here" moments <laughs> in the film. <laughs> but it, you know, it's it's, it's does it that is... technology even exist? Can inflatable dolls self-inflate? Like no. a life, like an emergency buoyancy aid? I, I, I can't imagine <laughs> they do. I mean, I, I I'm far from an expert, but uh, and and also, you know, do they come with free meat babies? <laughs> Mr. Radice, the great thing about this sex doll <laughs> is that it also has a whistle for attracting attention <laughs> and a light so that overhead aircraft can spot you. 
I mean, like that, <laughs> this film is genuinely disgusting. There's a lot of slime and worms. Um, yeah, and, there really uh, are. A lot, uh, lot of bodily fluids and so on. And yeah, it just... You just kind of accept that stuff, don't you? You're watching it, you're like, I have no idea what's going on here, but, you know, I'm sure it'll make sense eventually. But then it never does. But by the time you get to the point where it never does, so much other crazy shit's Man, shit happened. happened. You're already, just like, okay, fine. Like, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to see how it it's almost like he's practicing stuff that would become later. Like he was still comparatively new to horror, having been more thrillers, giallo, westerns, that kind of stuff beforehand, before Flesh Eaters. And so you've got stuff like the the glass breaking, going into the wall and that bleeding feels like it's mirrored in the beyond with the glass breaking and going into the dude's face. Oh, well... Like, there's a lot of stuff that feels like it's a step to things later on in his definitely, career. Definitely. Like, um, The Beyond is my favourite Fulci film. Yeah, that's um, fair. By far. And this definitely feels like a practice run for that. Um, and obviously, The Beyond was the next film he did. That was out in 81, wasn't yeah. it? Um, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, it was almost like this was a, a dry run for that. And, yeah, uh, like, on every level, like, in terms of, you know, the, the weirdness and the gore and the, you know, gateway to hell opening and the Fabio yeah. Fritzi music. Um, the music is uh, oh, pretty, amazing pretty music. great in this film. And uh, a hot tip for anyone who watches these films on headphones, I was watching this... And, you know, the soundtrack sounded fine. But then something happened in the film and I was like, oh, I wonder what they say in the commentary about this bit. It's basically, it's it's towards the end where a rat gets thrown on someone's shoulder. Yeah, um, right. And I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, what she says about the, the, the rat on the shoulder. I'll just quickly jump to the commentary audio track. And I went down to audio two an audio too, I don't know what the fuck it is. Like, it's probably some surround sound, you know, remaster business. But it sounded so much better than audio track one. It sounded like Fritzy <laughs> was playing in the room. Like, it's so clear and beautiful. So I, I, I didn't actually go back and check what it's called. But listen to it on audio track two uh, is my hot tip. And in case you're wondering what they said about the rat on the shoulder, they didn't talk about it instead. <laughs> Jay Slater was talking about how she gave him a jacket once. Um, <laughs> Classic Slater audio commentary. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back back to the point. Should we talk about the, the ending? Uh, can we talk briefly about the world's least scary, scary cat? Uh, <laughs> sure. The, the, the kitten. <laughs> <laughs> talking about throwing animals at actors. There's a, a lovely use of... Uh, a, a like a, a swinging light to hide an edit. <laughs> they hoof a toy cat at a oh. seat and then hide an edit to the world's cutest kitten. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the animals don't really have it easy in this film, do they? No, they don't. I mean, at least they didn't actually throw the kitten. No, that's true. I mean, well, they probably did a bit of kitten chucking. Yeah. To get it to the actress before she batted it away. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, they, yeah, they don't have a great track record with that stuff. So the ending, the very ending... Now, I've read around this a little bit. I don't know how much they say on the disc, but apparently Fulci changed his mind about the ending very late in the game and decided that he wanted the the child, the boy child, to be a zombie. Um, but obviously they hadn't shot anything that even vaguely suggested this. So they, they allude to the idea on the disc that maybe they the, it was changed before they filmed, but they didn't have time or money to film right. anything. Yes. 
because it's yeah it's meant to be they think they've escaped and they get above ground but actually they're still in the like the hellscape and the and this is indicated by the boy being scary yes uh and the best thing you can do when you haven't shot a boy being scary is to slow him down and then draw some bullshit (laughs) (laughs) i mean at the very least they could have like added some audio of him growling or do you know what i mean they you you get a you do get a uh you get a little bit you get a bit of facial response yeah a bit of going from delight yeah, the yeah. escape to worried about something yeah and then it was the editor's suggestion to draw in all the crackly whatnots yeah because um, they had literally because, had because the kid looked so happy yeah even um, slowed down so turns out that doesn't work but still like you know, this film does have one of the all-time great openings, um, just to take it right back to the oh, start. Yeah. Like, that scream, and then the title card. It's yeah. just, oh my it's, god, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's it's such an enjoyable film. I think I didn't I didn't appreciate it as much the first time I saw it, partly because I didn't see an uncut version, partly because yeah. I was a bit young and I was expecting Flesh Eaters, or, you know, another Flesh Eaters. And it wasn't the... It is, even uncut, it's, it's comparatively tame with a couple of exceptions compared to some of Fulci's other output. Yeah. Like given that had, so if he made this so soon after, uh, zombie flesh eaters, again, they talk the writer talks about like flesh eaters was a huge success. And, uh, and Fulci phoned the writer and was like, it's a huge success. They even like it in Japan. We don't even have to go out and pitch for jobs anymore. We can just sit back and put our feet up. They're going to come to us. And it didn't happen. And the mm. people that made Flesh Eaters just went with someone else for their next movie. Yeah. Which was a little bit, like, galling. And so when um, City of the Living Dead came along, they, they jumped on it. But I don't know if... Um, so obviously that the, the, um, Flesh Eaters has had its success by that point. So because what I'm getting to in a roundabout sort of way is that Flesh Eaters is the origin of or at least an early example of Fulci's love of eye mutilation. Mm-hmm. He really loves his eye mutilation. By the time we get to the beyond, eyes all over the place. Yeah. There's um, a bit of eye stuff in this, isn't there? A, uh, is there? Yeah. There's a little bit of eye stuff, maybe. But nothing... Like, there's eye bleedy, that mm. kind of thing, but not not gouging to the no. extent that he'd get into later. Yeah, I just... I, I, I feel like it's it's very slightly more restrained than some of his other stuff. Oh, I mean that is I mean that is amazing to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I say show this film to a normal person and ask them yeah, to to come up with two hundred and fifty words to describe the film, two hundred and fifty individual words, and I promise you restrained will not be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but the whole point is that it's contextual restraint. It's not, yeah, no, it's no, not going to feel it. restrained to a normal person, I but to it. someone who's seen Cat in the Brain, <laughs> Nightmare yeah, Concert, no, no, you know, that it. kind of stuff. Yeah. And again, it's not... I'd say Murder Rock is his, uh, his, his chilled-out, restrained movie. Murder Rock is uh, an absolute masterpiece, <laughs> and I'm not sure I like your insinuations. <laughs> and what is that fantasy film he did? Oh, my God, Conquest. Yes. I love Conquest so much. <laughs> That's such a piece of shit. Oh, it's so bad. It's so weird and bad. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't... You know, I love Fulci, but I'm one of those weirdos who likes Fulci but doesn't like zombie flesh eaters, as we covered in the podcast that we did on that. And maybe partly it's the nostalgia factor that I won't have a word said against this film because it is one that I watched when I was younger and you know did kind of was part of that process that turned me on to Italian horror you know along with the Argento stuff but yeah and, and actually watching it this time around maybe it's the 4k I don't know but 
I appreciated so much more about it. Like, there's so many perfect shots in this. Like, even sort of late on where, you know, they're in the cave and, like, the, the zombies are coming up through oh, the cobwebs. Oh, so good. And there's that one shot of the hand coming out of the ground through the earth and into the cobwebs. And it's just such a beautiful individual shot. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the uh, fact uh, that they're under the burial ground, under the graveyard, and yeah. the bodies from the graveyard are coming through the ceiling. Yeah. It's... Just gorgeous. Yeah, I, they, I think they used it in the Italian publicity. That's still. Yeah, yeah. It's just so good. It's a really nice. The, it's a really nice looking film. Yeah, and it great disc and um, we oh, an sort astonishing of, disc. Va- we vaguely touched on on the like the extra menu just keeps on going. You keep yeah, scrolling like down. Page after page <laughs> yeah. of extras. It's ridiculous. So you've got two audio commentaries. Yeah, um, an absolute a wealth of interviews. Mm. Some archival, some new. And then yeah, loads of other bits and bobs as well. It's a really, it's a really exhaustive disc. Print wise, it's really nice. Mm. And the sound on audio too. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, that's um, it does sound really good as well. Yeah, it's just a nice, really nice collection. Did you read the book? Uh, I did not. No, I, 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 I through the book yet. I only had a check disc. I, I don't uh, have the fancy pants. Yes, I have a fancy pants, but I haven't read the book. Well. I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, <laughs> There's so much to do on that disc. Yes, that's true. It uh, well, truly is the Red Dead Redemption 2 of discs. Well, we'll get on to Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> what have you watched this week? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. The back of a horse. The back of a horse's ass. Um, <laughs> right, let's go on to recommendations based on this film. I'm going to go first go because first. I'm worried about... Um, I've got a backup in case you do want to crossover. Okay. So I struggled with this not because I couldn't think of I couldn't think of enough. I, there was just too many. So I have loads of backups, but I'm not going to name them all. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll name a couple after you've done your two if yeah. there's no crossover. But um, I ended up going for there's a couple of obscure ones I was going to go for, but I've ended up going for something that probably a lot of people uh, listening to this podcast has already seen. But in the mouth of madness. Um, nice. I think doubles well with this tonally and, and sort of, you know, they both have a similar, uh, like their films packed with good ideas that have that dream slash nightmare logic. And it's a, another sort of Dunwich influenced horror film in which a couple go to a cursed town. Yeah, yeah. So if there is anyone out there who hasn't seen In the Mouth of Madness, it might be my favourite John Carpenter movie after the thing. <laughs> I just saw Dan's face. It's quite amazing. <laughs> um, no, I love In the Mouth of Madness so much and it's relatively underappreciated. It's never had a good Blu-ray release in this country anyway uh, i think they've done one in the states I think maybe screen factory have relatively recently done a good one but we need a nice one please arrow yeah yeah um but yeah yeah we've done a bit more begging of arrow recently haven't we yeah i mean it's, it's time good. they yeah, we should. they listen to us yeah yeah, yeah, we need to use our presumably massive influence. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, what's Send your tweets. next recommendation? My first recommendation is Virgin Among the Living Dead by Jess Franco. I mean, next in the grand <laughs> scheme of things, yeah. like across all the episodes we've done. But yes, good pick. Yeah, it's another it's slightly dreamy movie that was marketed more of a zombie as more of a zombie film than it really is. Um, it is more restrained than City of the Living Dead. It's also very restrained for Jess Franco. Yeah. But it's a very, like, Vaseline-lensed, floaty countryside movie. It doesn't have any of the sort of Lovecraftian biz that's going on in uh, in City of the Living Dead, but it is it is about a, a sort of uh, an, an evil presence that is um, 
that is creeping up on the on the protagonist and whether mm. or not they're going to be able to get out of it. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. I, I watched it thinking it was a regular zombie movie, like, mm. just thinking it was going to be a zombie movie, uh, and it had a nice. It, it's quite slow, but it's very like lyrical and, and pleasant. Yeah, it's one of uh, one of Franco's more polished outputs. Yeah, which and, yeah, I've always got time for a bit of Franco, even yeah, if he's as wh- hit and miss as he is. Whether it's polished or not, yeah. I love Franco so much. Right, my next recommendation is Enigma. Ah. Um, but specifically the 88 films Blu-ray because it has... Uh, actually, I actually... I love Enigma um, and Enigma. 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 Yeah, I, I do love that film, but the main reason I bought it on Blu-ray is because the special feature is uh, a 76-minute documentary on Fulci in the 80s. So oh, nice. it obviously it touches on um, City of Living Dead and, you know, not that you need any more extras um, yeah. off this disc, but, you know, if, if you're intrigued about Fulci based on, you know, what we've been talking about, then uh, it's a really good source of... Um, gossip and you know <laughs> lots of you find out a lot about his grumpiness basically in that documentary it's not the best made documentary I've ever seen the image quality and the sound was it quality, made in the 80s? no no oh, okay. um, I think it was made by 88 um, so the yeah the image quality and the sound quality shifts dramatically from inter- interview to interview it's not consistent but if you can put up with that as I mostly can Um, you know it's definitely worth a watch Dan what's your first recommendation based on this film (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm going to be edited (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm using a nightmare dream logic Dan I like it Uh, it's the 1973 Roger Corman produced Dunwich Horror Oh, of course. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> that makes sense. Sam and I were having a conversation before we started recording where I couldn't remember, the, I went blank, couldn't remember the name of Dunwich, uh, the Dunwich Horror. I was trying to describe it to Sam uh, so that he could tell me what it was called and I did a very bad job of describing it. Yeah. I just kept on saying Lovecraft and Corman. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a surprisingly straight... Um, adaptation of a Lovecraftian movie from Corman. It f- it's got more of a sort of tonally, it feels more aligned with something like Amityville. It's certainly not as as wacky as City of the Living Dead, but it's um, but it's a nice uh, it's a nice solid Lovecraftian uh, horror adaptation. And I, there are, there are enough things to tie it to City of the Living Dead that I think it's a good companion watch. Hmm. Um, again, much more restrained. So you know, maybe City of the Dead isn't looking so restrained anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad Just you went on that journey on your stuff. own. Just compared to his own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I. I it was just because I watched it like pretty much straight after Flesh Eaters. Uncut right. Flesh Eaters followed by Cut City of the Living Dead. Yeah, I get it. Like get that, it. that was my first experience of it. But yeah, so um, yeah, it's, it's there's a there's a there's a growing number or not a huge number, especially if you discount um, Usner and Gordon. Of, uh, of Lovecraft-inspired projects. And they're pretty hit and miss. And again, I love a lot of the, the Gordon and the Usner ones. Mm. Uh, but outside of them, there's there's only a handful that are really that worth anything. But I think the Dunwich Horror is pretty good. I'm going to chuck in one more, actually, yeah, yeah. if that's all right. I'll, just... I'll do my backup as well. Then. Yeah, sweet. Um, so just off the back of what you're saying now, um, The Resurrected um, from 1991, I think, would pair well with this. And again, it's, it's based on a Lovecraft story directed by Dan O'Bannon. And yeah, it's uh, similarly gloopy and and slightly gross and 
fucking weird. Um, so yeah, and I definitely think the Resurrected is one that that a lot of people listening to this won't have actually seen. So um, that's from nineteen ninety one. And if you like shit like this, you'll like shit like that. That's Dan, good, what's good what was your extra extra uh, my, recommendation? Uh, my backup was the first Phantasm. Oh, nice. Which I think is the the gold standard for Dream Logic films. Absolutely. And I'm going to quickly say Messiah <laughs> of Evil from 1973, right, well, that, no, and I'm, then I'm, that's it. That's yeah. it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you could do one more if no, you want. Really good. Let's move on. What have you watched recently, Sam? Nothing. I've been playing Red Dead. No. <laughs> I, have, I have watched stuff. I have watched stuff. So, in fact, I'm going to recommend... I'm going to be... Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I'm going to be a Red Dead Redemption person. and Mandy. Look, this... <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, I am going to very uh, recommend a very quick double bill. Sorry, Dan, it's another. I'm cheating again. Um, Why are you cheating? But basically, I went to Rome recently for the first time. Um, Stuff, isn't it? It's amazing. I've never, you know, you know, because it's my first time, I've never been before that. And that kind of goes without saying. But yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. And I came back and wanted to watch Rome films. So I revisited Roma. Uh, the Fellini film, mm. in which basically, again, talking about dream logic, it's him sort of using Rome as a conduit for his memories, both as a child and of the city. And then, you know, there's some surreal expressions of what the city means to him. And so, yeah, if you haven't seen Roma, there's a lovely Eureka Blu-ray not loads of extras, but it's a beautiful print and it is uh, a, a masterpiece that I think has gone relatively underseen when you compare it to stuff like Eight and a Half and La Dolce Vita. And then in the same week, uh, I went to a screening of another film called Roma. Uh, this is the uh, Curon film that's coming to Netflix okay, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in December that they're going to be um, releasing at limited cinemas. I think they've done a deal with Curzon that means that you can see it on the big screen. I wholeheartedly recommend going to see it on the big screen yeah. if you can, partly because it's stunning in terms of just some of the shots. There's There's one shot I'm not going to spoil, and even, you know, what I say now won't spoil it, it involves a crab, but not in the way you'd expect. But look out for a crab. <laughs> and and that shot, that shot says so much about the characters and their situation. And it's just fucking wonderful. And their relationship um, crabs. And well, not necessarily that. But you'll see, when you see it, you'll be waiting the whole film to see a crab. But um, you do see one. And the sound design as well. That's another reason to see it um, at the cinema. Um, I saw it at Dolby and it has possibly the best sound mix I've heard in the last decade. Um, it's insane. You feel like you're there. And, you know, when the credits rolled, you know, you hear something. And I, I haven't really seen this before. Like a few people walked out. Um, and, and went home but the vast majority of the screen just stayed sitting in their seats just listening to this amazing sound so yeah if you can see the cinema do but if you don't it's on Netflix in December um, and it's absolutely worth watching um, it is one of those um, Oscar hyped films that's actually worth the hype nice um, so yeah Roma and Roma Dan right so I'll just do both of mine 
Uh, yeah, I've I'll got. Do, I'll do three of mine. I've, I've, I've also do, got another. I'll one. do. All, I'll do. I've got a top five for each one of my nine. Good. I've got one more. Do you know what? Actually, Dan. Actually, the main reason I wanted to mention Roma, even if it's sort of crowbarring it in in that way, is because of the amount of whinging you did last year. This year, for our end of year, you know, best of 2018, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do a straight top ten. So Me it means too. I can't. Crowbar in, crowbar in all those, all those. So I don't know, uh, you know, but at what cost? If you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get like three for each one in every nope. other episode. That's it. Cool. <laughs> well, I too have been playing Red Dead. <laughs> My recommendation from the last week. I've been filling some gaps. I am denied about whether or not to include this because objectively it's not amazing, but it's got a a different type of what the fuck is going on to um, uh, to City of the Living Dead. But um, I watched for the first time uh, Vincent Price in the 1981 uh, Roy Ward Baker movie Monster Club. Nice. You seen Monster Club? No, I don't, no, I've seen Monster Party. I haven't seen Monster Club. I haven't. I hadn't seen Monster Club. It is baffling. Right. <laughs> so Roy Ward Baker obviously did a bunch of stuff for Amicus, did a bunch of stuff for Horror, uh, for Hammer. This is a uh, it's a it's a portmanteau picture so it's three narratives uh joined by a uh, a punter being taken to the monster club uh, by way of thanks for having donated some blood to a hungry vampire out on the streets and then so you get three little uh, little stories that um that are about hybrid creatures you see this sort of like hierarchy of um of of monsters mm. so you and uh, and you get explained what the difference you get told what the differences are between the cr- different like a werewolf and a human mm-hmm. cross or like a vampire and a mummy cross. Hang uh, on, isn't oh, okay, yeah? Fine. No, I know it's the it's very very peculiar, right? Um, and it's not, it's not amazing. It's got some pretty uh, it's got some pretty interesting uh, musical numbers in it <laughs> um, because it's I set know, in a club. I know you love a musical. Uh, yeah, I love a musical. So yeah, it's it's if you haven't seen it, don't put it ahead of anything genuinely amazing. Maybe watch uh, Roma first. <laughs> For example, don't put it ahead of my next recommendation, oh, which is inspired by uh, the fact that um, you know Dan and I separately have been playing Red Dead Redemption Two, <laughs> as as I'm sure you out there, dear listener, have been doing. Um, you know, if you love spaghetti westerns, it is like it spaghetti is western. Very, the very game, spaghetti, it's, right at the beginning. Oh, it's amazing. With, it's with all fucking the snow, amazing. Yeah, I, I was just like, oh, I'm in the I'm in the Great Silence. Yeah, I'm in the Great Silence. <laughs> it's so good. So um, to sort of wean myself off it and and actually do my job i've been watching a lot of spaghetti westerns recently um and this isn't something i've talked about loads and i would like us to do some of the arrow um spaghettis yeah yeah yeah, let's do that but you know i i grew up on the spaghetti westerns my stepdad um absolutely loves westerns so um a lot of my childhood was spent watching them and so arrow have uh arrow video have a beautiful a uh, uh, Blu-ray of Day of Anger from 1967, nice. yeah, which yeah, is yeah. basically is in my Western Criterion collection in my yeah, head. Like it's fucking amazing. Like I love stuff like um, Red River, Ride the High Country, but um, Day of Anger is just 
oh, it's so much fun. It's so cool. And um, the soundtrack, though, you know, it's basically one song that you hear over and over again. And if you've seen Django Unchained, you'll recognise the the theme because yeah. uh, Tarantino uses it in quite a cool way in that film. Um, but yeah, uh, Day of Anger, which is available on Arrow Video Blu-ray, if you are playing Red Dead Redemption 2 and need a break from it, why not watch that? Because it's basically it. It's basically the same. And you know who wrote it? I do. And that leads in nicely to... Go on. <laughs> so Ernesto Gialdi, who wrote it, yeah. also wrote the uh, the one we're doing for next time. Yes. Which is the case of the Scorpion's Tale. Exactly. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. We are. I, um, I've been catching up on some stuff. We're recording these, again, very slightly in advance. So... The thing that I watched was relatively new out when I watched it. It will be less new by the time this goes up, so many of you will have seen it. But if you haven't seen it, and it feels almost slightly Fulchian in its uh, its treatment of certain things, uh, I recommend The Night Comes for Us. You seen? I knew you were going to recommend that this week. I don't know why. That's so weird. Anyway. Well, because it was made for me. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess, I guess. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's not, not a perfect movie. I thought you'd hold it back for your end of year top ten. But, but it's, a, it's a great movie. I feel like it's going to be in your end it of year top ten. It might be in my 10. top ten. It's, um, yeah, like, the, you know, there are some issues with it, but it's a really solid action film, and there are some moments in it that just had me, like, verbally exclaiming out loud on my own. <laughs> <laughs> The, the two moments that, that most elicited a response from me, and these are non-spoilery, so uh, you don't need to worry about that if you haven't seen it. Uh, early on in an action scene, uh, there is a moment where someone behind a desk is uh, kicked in such a way that they drop their shotgun and it spins through the air and is caught in a usable pose by the person who kicked them, which is just gorgeous. <laughs> I was chatting with Timo, the director, on Twitter about it, and I asked how many takes did they have to do to get that. Uh, and he was like, oh, fuck with those guys, like twice. Because <laughs> so they, they are so good, the stunt yeah. team on this. It's absolutely mm, yeah, incredible. Yeah. And then the uh, the other one is towards the end, about like two-thirds of the way through, maybe a bit later, there's a shot that's backlit um, against a wall of those glass bricks, you know, the square glass bricks, uh, and it feels like the... Um, oh, what's the Pinky Violence Samurai? The Tarantino borrowed it, borrowed the aesthetic for Kill Bill. Right, yeah, yeah, but yeah. The, the backlit yeah. Yeah, fight, it's, it, it feels like it's referencing that, but in a single shot, it goes from that into a corridor that joins that area that is littered with corpses from an explosion, and the juxtaposition of those two, like that beautiful, like color tone glass back shot through into that like alleyway of violence is just absolutely breathtaking i suspect yeah. that film will be a popular one with our listeners yeah i think so yeah yeah great all right let's go into extra features extra features extra features extra features extra features so i have uh, an interview that i probably should have run long before now but hey you know um films are eternal right so it's always relevant hopefully by now you'll have caught cam 
on Netflix. I think I recommended it um, in the past. I did. And so that went up on November the 16th. And I uh, spent uh, quite a long time, actually. Um, I was very lucky. They, they, they gave me a lot of time out of their day. I was very much appreciated it. And so I feel bad that I haven't run this until now. But um, I spoke to the director, Daniel Goldhaber, and the writer, Issa Mazay, and actually Issa directed some of the sequences in the film as well. But we're not going to talk about that. Instead, um, you need to go and watch Cam and then come back because here are the two films that they would recommend you watch after watching Cam in the style of what we normally do on this podcast. Nice. Um, see how I did that. Right, uh, here's what you should watch after you've watched Cam. Basically, showgirls means video drum. Yeah, showgirls. We love showgirls. Yeah, you, right. you talked a bit about it in the, the Q&A. What is it about Showgirls? Showgirls, I mean, not only does it show an ambitious, you know, it's burlesque, but that's a form of sex work, like an ambitious sex worker. And it shows it in a, it shows sex work in a, in a very positive light. And it shows all of the, it shows it as kind of like an exhilarating, fun, almost like athletic sport. And an aesthetic achievement. And an aesthetic achievement. It, it, it also really shows the hard work that goes into it, which I think is very rare in sex work in media, is to show that it is legitimately a job and a hard job, and, and so we love that about it. Um, and we think it's just a really fun movie also. Like, we think we like to think that Cam is a fun movie, and, and so I think there's a lot of aesthetic overlap between the two that people will appreciate. Um, there's also a, um, another moment in Showgirls that I think is so critical that I've never quite seen in a movie executed like this before, which is in the climax where it's revealed that she used to be a prostitute. And I think what's so fascinating about the film is that she's not ashamed of having been a prostitute. She's like, I did what I did. She's keeping it because of how it's going to be used against her. And the people using that part of her identity against her are seen as unilaterally villainous. And I think that that's something else where I think that like, if there's a moment where Verhoeven like, really shows his hand in the movie, it's there. And I think that it's really saying that, like, the only, you know, the worst part about sex work is the way that the rest of society might use it against you. Mm-hmm. And and I think that it's a it's a really powerful movie and an aesthetic achievement. And and it's I think that I also think that something that I really learned from Showgirls is the way that the movie uses camp. You know, camp I think has a legacy of being used by subcultures that haven't been able to express themselves in the you know, in the in the mainstream discourse, and so they, it, it, you know, it invents those cultures invent languages uh, to to kind of communicate outside of it. And I think that what Verhoeven does in Showgirls is he brings camp into the mainstream in this really fascinating way. And I think it's also worth mentioning that people talk about Showgirls like a movie that was a financial failure, but it was anything but. It's, the, I think, still the highest-grossing VHS tape in history. Um, and, like, yes, there's, like, a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons people went and bought it. But at the end of the day, a lot of people saw that movie, and that movie had a certain cultural impact and and i think that it's it's really extraordinary mm-hmm. and for you dan it was showgirls and videodrome <laughs> right okay and, and, yeah fair enough and they talk at great length about showgirls and then don't really say anything about videodrome <laughs> <laughs> right but it's fine because uh we've done a whole podcast on videodrome yes 
So there we go, quite a lot about Showgirls, not as much about Videodrome, mainly because uh, I was so interested in hearing about Showgirls, I forgot to then get more information on <laughs> Videodrome. But if you do want more on Videodrome, we've done a whole podcast on it, so uh, go back and listen to that. And actually, you know, I think the influence is pretty clear on Cam, um, as I'm sure you'll be aware if you've watched it. Right, I'm getting rambly, so it's time to wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. I've been rambly at all episode, to be honest. Like, me and Dan aren't sleeping a lot separately at the moment um, we are sleeping a lot together um because uh yeah there's a lot of cowboy action going on so, <laughs> so to speak <laughs> i feel like that might be brought upon ourselves uh if that's if that's taken out of context i'm fine with it right dan can Hello. they follow you on social media yeah they can i'm at 13 finger fx uh both on twitter and instagram I'm at Sam Ashurst um, on Twitter and at Sam Ashurst 23 on Instagram. Though, to be honest, I'm pretty done with both mediums. So, you know, don't don't bother. Um, Right. Fair enough. That's That's it. That's it. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And we promise we'll be more professional next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.